Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 208 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening in our usual time slot, and joining me as very often, Eric Cole is here. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah, here we are. Uh, It's March, officially. March 1st. Baseball's happening. As we talk, and uh, later this month, Eric, later this month, baseball baseball will count, which I appreciate. if you haven't been looking at Twitter.com, the baseball that's happening right now counts, sir. It does not and, count at all. Yeah. I don't believe you. <laughs> oh, man. Social media is such a funny place sometimes. It's just like yeah. you, imagine, imagine that the the week the games are happening the last week of February are getting people so upset about how people are performing. It kind of it's kind of blows my mind. We could spend uh, – if we wanted to be that, we, we could spend a lot of time on spring training results today, Eric, but we're not going to do that. We'll touch on it for a minute in a little bit here. But uh, yeah, my, my general spring training philosophy, I think I've communicated, communicated it a few times on this podcast, but uh, I generally don't care about results. Um, you know, with few exceptions, there are some exceptions of if there are outliers or if like there is stuff to go along with the results, if guys just look terrible, or, especially pitchers, I think pitchers, I care a little bit more. But uh, you know, in general, I do not care about established players not performing well in spring training. That's something that I do not care about. Young guys, I guess it matters if you're talking about like making the team. But we're still two weeks away from that kind of stuff really ramping up or so. So for now, like we're not going to spend much time on spring training results. Uh, my apologies if you want to have that podcast. I'm sure somebody else is doing that. But uh, on March 1st, uh, we're going to spend most of the podcast on non-spring training things. Yeah, I mean, I like I like watching prospects playing games against established regulars, and when they do cool stuff, that's fun. But you know, at the end of the day, spring training is about like kind of getting your work in, not necessarily you know playing your absolute best and like playing and like treating every game like it would be in the regular season. Because I would say that at least ninety percent of the guys who are playing in spring training right now aren't doing that. Yeah, uh, getting your work in is a good way to describe that, Eric. I think that's that's very well said by you uh, as to how most guys should be approaching spring training. Um, and they are, I think, for the most part. And we'll talk about um, one of the, I would say, takeaways or storylines in, in a minute here, but it's coming. Um, first thing, I think the biggest news, if you want to call it that, of the week was the Freddie Freeman elbow saga. We talked about this on Sunday last week with Scott and I. Um, there was a little bit of the noise about Freddie after the interview that he did with Jeff Schultz, and then I think it was Monday was the was when the word broke that he actually was gonna he got scratched from a game, and uh, people people kind of panicked. And I, I did tweet at the time, this is either absolutely nothing or maybe something, and it was one of those things. Um, shortly thereafter, Anthopoulos said there was quote no concern end quote. Um, you know, he was, I guess he's getting closer and they're thinking he might play on Monday. So I'm not terribly worried about this, but, um, you know, of course when 
Freddie, who was hurt at the end of last season and then had the surgery and then gave the quotes to Schultz about the painkilling stuff. And then, you know, within two days of that, basically, comes uh, it comes out that he is sore and has to miss some time, spring training. You know, it's more of the whole story than anything else. I don't want to go too deep into Freddie again for the second straight week on the podcast. But um, the fact that he did miss a little bit of time this week um, was a cause for alarm for some. And while I would normally downplay it, because it was the elbow and everything else, you have to kind of talk about it. Yeah, and look, I think it's a perfectly reasonable explanation, and I was actually the one that wrote up this news story, and what I said immediately was, it's not crazy that a guy four months away from surgery who just had his workload ramped up significantly to experience some swelling in the, in that in that area. It's just not weird. But when you come into camp, and two things happen. One, you talk about how great your elbow feels, and like you're, this is like the best you've felt in you know close to a decade of swinging, and you know like you can't believe you feel this great. And you give those quotes to Schultz, and then two days later that you get scratched from a scratch from a start, doesn't the optics aren't particularly great there. But that said, it I mean, again it makes sense. Like he was working out, he felt great, and then over time it's just some some inflammation popped up in, in an area where he had surgery. Again, not a weird thing, but the whole, the optics of this whole situation is kind of what's matters here. And unfortunately, it just doesn't look particularly great for Freddie, considering how a lot of other things were handled. But at the end of the day, I'm just not that worried about him. I'm just not. Yeah, and he, I think he even admitted this this week, he is prone to kind of overdoing it, and it feels like he probably just did a little bit too much um, at the very outset when you're trying to sort of ramp up slowly, and Freddie just likes to get work in and likes to play every day and do, it's kind of the way he's wired, it seems, I think he just did a little bit too much, and in the grand scheme, it doesn't really matter. Hopefully, you know, you know, obviously that's the overarching hope is that he's just fine. And this is a small hiccup on the way to a full fledged recovery and hundred percent health. But yeah, I think it's just a, something that we had to discuss briefly, but until we know more, or if he gets pushed back again or something like that, then maybe we worry. But if he plays on Monday, then I think everything's going to be fine. It's just one of those things. Yeah. Um, all right, moving on, moving on from there, we'll get through all the news quickly before we get to the uh, headliner of this podcast, by the way, which is the starting rotation review, uh, sorry, preview, and that is uh, Mike Soroka time, which I know Eric is excited Yes, um, yes. But before we get to that, uh, there was a, uh, I would call it a side story, this is not a real thing in my opinion, but Marcelo Zuna gave some comments to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch earlier this week about... Kind of, log- kind of the logistics around him signing in Atlanta and had more to do with St. Louis. And we talked about this a little bit at the time, even when he signed with, with the Braves, that it was kind of a weird look that he basically signed for the same amount of money as the qualifying offer, which he ended up turning down in St. Louis. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole quote because it's out there, um, but he did say, uh, this is sort of the money version. I'm quoting now from Ozuna. If I knew before it was going to happen like this, I would have taken it, end quote. That was the one thing that people got kind of upset about. There were Braves fans. I don't know why, because logistically, if you put yourself in the in the shoes of the athlete, um, obviously when he turned down the qualifying offer, there is no chance that Ozuna thought he was going to sign a one year deal for the same amount of money. So, nope. put that yeah. on the table now. Um, and you know, it's not a slight on the Braves. He didn't come out and say that he didn't want to sign with the Braves. He came out and actually, you know, mentioned that the Braves gave, were the team that gave him the opportunity and a good de- and he called it a good deal. Said he had to do it. So nothing negative about the Braves, but you know, put yourself in that, in that guy's shoes. If if the, if the deals were the same and you could sign the same offer, you know, three months later, I mean, sorry, three months earlier, however long ago it was in, in the past, with none of the drama and none of the worry and none of the none of the negotiations and all that stuff. Wouldn't you want to do that? It wasn't like he was saying that the Braves 
or a bad situation for him. He seemed to be pretty excited about it, but uh, people sort of glommed onto that one quote about him saying that he would have signed it in St. Louis. And I honestly can't blame him. Like, I totally understand why someone would say that. He was just being honest. And I thought it was kind of a non-story. Yeah. It's like the same thing where like a, t- a team signs a new player and that player says, I'm going to miss, you know, X and Y teammate. And then the, the new fans get really upset. They're like, well, you know, this is your team now. You don't need to be talking about them. That sort of stuff kind of drives me crazy. They played right? the Cardinals. He, he, yeah, got, he got asked a question by the Cardinals guy. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was. It wasn't like Mar- Ozuna went to like pulled Mark Bowman aside and said, "Hey, I want to let everyone know that I'm not happy being here." It's just not what happened. He was just. This is the situation that came about. I would have preferred to have stayed in the in St. Louis, given these two situations, given the amount of money that I was making. Because, uh, but since I thought I was going to be getting a three or four year deal, I decided to keep you know, keep my hopes alive in free agency, and that did not materialize, and then the Cardinals didn't want me back. No Braves fan should have been confused or surprised by the fact that he would have preferred to stay with St. Louis. He wouldn't have had to move. He would have just been in a situation he was comfortable in on a team that's pretty good as well. It's going to be it's another contending team. So if you're kind of thinking about it from those terms, you know, it's just there's less logistical headaches with him staying in St. Louis versus going to another team, even though he seems happy with Atlanta. But, you know, like he had to sign late and move all around and it was for the same amount of money and he kind of would have saved himself a lot of effort. But what kind of bothers me is just that people kind of took this as a, you know, Uzuna's going to be a bad clubhouse guy. And look, he's already complaining about being in Atlanta when it makes all the sense in the world as that he would feel this way. It was even reported while he was a free agent that he really would prefer to stay in St. Louis if the opportunity was available to him. And now everyone's acting so shocked that he would express his point of view in an honest way with an interview with a reporter from St. Louis just does not make sense to me. You know, it's not like twins fans were getting really upset with Josh Donaldson when he was giving that interview and he was saying things like, you know, I really wanted to stay in Atlanta. I really enjoyed my time there. We just couldn't make a deal work, which is literally the same thing that I was <laughs> saying right, right here, but no one's saying anything because they have a preconceived notion of what they think Marcelo Zuna is. And it's just not the case. Yeah. And also he, he actually kind of crapped on the Cardinals in the same quotes talking about if they had a good, if they ever, if they offered a good offer, he would understand it. Um, which I agree with. I mean, we don't. We don't. We only. We're only hearing one side of the story there when it comes to Azuna. But if you're the Cardinals and you offer the qualifying offer, but you don't really also bring anything beyond that, I'm not really sure why you do that. I mean, I, I guess. I guess I understand because you get. The, you got the. You got the comp pick. Maybe that's what it is. But it is uh, from the player side. I think there's some frustration that would be obvious there if you get sort of tagged with the qualifying offer that limits your flexibility a little bit, and then the Cardinals come back to you and basically don't offer you much. That would be frustrating, and that's that's yep. the system more than anything. But it's still kind of brutal for the player. So, I get it on all fronts. But anyway, I mean, I don't want to spend more time on this because it was just silly. But I'm glad we got to talk about it for a second, just to say that it was silly because it was. Um, unless you have more thoughts, Eric, because I don't think I do. But we can. We can uh, move on no, I mean, it was it was silly. The people who are really bothered by it. I think have Braves Facebook was bothered by it. I know that. For, <laughs> yeah, for yeah, fact. there's that. Yeah, uh, definitely the, the the Braves Facebook crowd. Uh, they're an interesting crowd and one that's fairly predictable at this point. So <laughs> agreed. All right, let's move on quickly from that. Um, this is a, not a really a thing to discuss, but I want to at least say it out loud. Chipper Jones is now employed by ESPN. Um, there was some, some reporting there from the AJC this week that he's going to go, he's going to do 20 games of Wednesday night baseball as an analyst. Um, I am very interested to see how that goes. Chipper is, uh, very smart about baseball, but he also says whatever he wants to say, which uh, can get him into yeah. trouble at some time. Um, yeah. So we'll, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I, think I have he, the same exact thought. I'm like, they're putting him on ESPN. He might, he might be great. Honestly, he might yeah, be he, great. 
but it also might be a short-lived stint if he says something crazy that gets him in trouble. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, look, every time he's like been in the booth like for like short stints, you know, with Fox and all that, like, like he is an incredibly smart baseball guy, right? But when you're like, he's like going to be in a broadcast, probably covering games. They're not going to be all games that he's going to be crazy interested in, I would imagine. So I'm kind of glad that they're kind of starting with 20 games rather than just kind of giving him the reins to Wednesday night baseball for a protracted period of time, because. I'm kind of with you. I'm just, it could go a lot of different ways and there's a lot of variants. He could be like one of the better broadcasters we've seen in a long time because, you know, he's not super far removed from the game and he is, and he's obviously his pedigree as a player is, you know, <laughs> goes without saying, you know, you know, Hall of Famer is going to be one of the, you know, going to go down and be thought of for the next, you know, several decades as one of the better third basemen to ever play the game. But, you know, if everyone follows his Twitter account, it's cringeworthy sometimes, and you got to worry, you know, what is he going to say in the moment when something gets him riled up? You know, if someone gets hit with a pitch or, flip, you know, flips a bat or does something on the mound that he doesn't like, you kind of wonder what he's going to say. But at the same time, that's going to make me want to watch Wednesday Night Baseball. So, you know, who knows? Maybe that's kind of the, the long con here. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Brace fans will be interested in Chipper uh, being on the air because he's, of course, beloved here and with good reason. He was awesome. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I just want to at least bring it up. On the podcast. And uh, the last thing that's non-spring training related, although it's, I guess it's kind of related to spring training, this became, I think, the biggest storyline of today, anyway, Sundays we're recording this, and with good reason. This is actually a long-term thing, and without getting to, uh, before we get into this, we are going to do a full-fledged lineup position player preview on the next podcast. That's, that's, that's the plan, so we're not going to dive in all the way here. But Brian Snicker gave a pretty interesting comment about Johan Camargo and Austin Riley and the potential of carrying them both on the roster today. Um, and but when I say interesting, I would say not the best way, but that's my editorial. So I'll, I'll read I'll read the quote to you. Uh, he was asked about carrying both guys on the roster at the same time, and this is what he said: Realistically, can you can you get both guys on the roster? No, I don't I don't know I don't know that you can do them justice. If you're not playing them every day, then you're not going to do them justice. You can talk about it, and it all sounds good, but in reality, it's just not that easy to do. End quote. Now, uh, where, where do I start on this? Um, if this was, if this was a different manager, he would probably earn a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt on this. But I think with his track record and some things that he said last year, the thing about uh, basically his his track record of just playing the starters all the time and not being flexible and not kind of being a modern manager in that way gets him in some trouble here. but And at the end of the day, the other thing that troubles me about this, and I'm going to let you talk about it, Eric, before I really dive in, is that both Camargo and Riley are multi-position players. That's what really sticks for me. Like, if these guys were third-base-only players, I would totally understand not wanting to carry them both, like, flatly. But when you're talking about not doing them justice and not that easy to do, it's actually quite easy to do, in my opinion, to carry these guys on the same roster, considering that their, their flexibility. We've seen Riley play the outfield decently enough, he could be your backup first baseman if you needed that. Camargo can play everywhere. I just don't see... I mean, at the end of the day, I might argue in two weeks, three weeks from now, that maybe it's best for the team to not have both of them. But to kind of close the door on it right now on March 1st kind of baffles me. And it just seems like it's a return to the, you know, sort of the fill up the same lineup every single day and turn it in and kind of be close-minded in some ways that has happened in the past. And there was some thought that it might change in the future, uh, I'm not sure this is a great sign toward that. So I do have some thoughts here. One is that I agree with you is that there should be a certain level of doubt regarding Snitker and kind of his traditional lineup management. You know, 
I mean, last year in spring, he was dug in on Ender and Sugarte as the leadoff hitter, right? Yes, like, he you know, was. And we, that, that really and we, happened. <laughs> and, then, and, 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 like, he was also the guy who's like, you know, we're not that kind of, we're not built that kind of way when in terms of platooning, you know, platooning and things like that. And I just don't think those things are true. It's just that's not how he prefers to manage. Now, if that's the decision he makes, so be it. But ultimately, it's not that it can't be done, right? It's just that this is not how he would do it. Because in like modern baseball and modern managing, like having guys like Austin Riley and Rohan Camargo on your 26-man roster is exactly what you want on your roster. So that way you can play matchups and work, and you know work guys back and forth to kind of give t- guys time off and you know set up your lineups up in like in optimal ways, et cetera, et cetera. However, there are a couple things that I think are in factor here. Are, are factors here. One is that it's possible he could be talking about just out of spring training, and I think that he did. I think that there's a lot of people who think that. Austin Riley just needs more time in AAA to at least prove that he's kind of gotten past some of the issues that he had last year. You know, whether it be, you know, his issues with sliders causing him to have issues against fastballs and kind of slowing his bat down, you know, stuff like that. Like, they want to see that happen in AAA. That is a perfectly reasonable take to make, is that you want to see that to happen. And if he's just talking about right out of camp, that makes all the sense in the world to me. Two, I read... I take this, and I have no inside information on this other than kind of what happened last year and there were kind of rumblings about how he felt about being a bench piece, is that I don't think Johan Cabargo wants to be that guy. There was also a quote in there, by the way. I'm going to try to find it right now as we're talking. I should have grabbed it while I was looking at this originally. There was a quote in the same uh, story from Mark Bowman about Camargo, and Snicker kind of even referred to Camargo as, you know, I think this is a little bit of small sample size theater, but he referred to him as not being very good in that role last year, basically. And that's obviously true. Camargo did not play well yeah. last season, flat out. But I'm he was also that, like, really not in shape last year, too. That, right? I was going to say, that, that wasn't all to do with position, uh, if, if anything, or role. So, I mean, I kind of agree that your theory could be spot on. We obviously don't know that at this point in time. Right. But... Uh, you know, Snicker does know things we don't know, and maybe there really is a personality thing, or maybe there really is a belief for some reason beyond just baseball, like, you know, stats and performance stuff, that Camargo wouldn't be as good in that role as everyone thinks that he could be. Uh, because, you know, on paper, Camargo, as a multi-position player that is a switch hitter, makes all the sense in the world as a utility piece. We've been talking about this for three or four years now, and obviously he had the one really good season where he was a legitimate starting caliber player and was great. But other than that, in his track record, there's not too much beyond that to uh, to sort of support it. But yeah, it's one of those things where I I, I agree with you that maybe there's something beyond that, and I can't find the quote, so I'm going to give up right now as we're talking. But there was, in that same story from Mark Bowman, if you want to find it, I'm sure you can, um, Snicker did, at least was asked, or maybe even volunteered the information on his own, kind of just referencing the fact that Camargo was not very good when he was asked to play in that part-time role last year. Yeah, and it's and there's a lot of factors, too. Like, you know, it's not just potentially Camargo doesn't want to be in that role and that if they want Riley out there, they want him playing every day because, you know, they want him getting at bats regularly. You know, there's there's things like that. There's also the, you know, maybe in Snitger's mind, he's like, how many utility guys do I really want to carry, especially if they really want to carry Charlie Culberson? Now, the idea of carrying Charlie Culberson over Johan Camargo in that role kind of makes me want to throw up my mouth a little bit. But, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of, you know, I, I I can understand some thought processes happening, and especially coming right out of camp, I sort of understand where where the thought process is. But at the same time, it's certainly not the decision that I would make. And you know, the idea that that you couldn't have both of these guys on the roster just full stop on March first, this is something that cannot happen, is something that I don't agree with. Now, if you think that Riley needs more time in Gwinnett, that's an entirely different question. Yeah, I totally agree with you. 
on this. In fact, you know, I am usually of the mind, and I think I'm pretty consistent with this, that prospects and people and guys that have not been proven at the major league level, I, I am I am sort of someone who does not want them to become part-time players, especially if they're high-end prospects like Riley. And, you know, I've been a little bit lower on Riley the whole time, but he's still a very good prospect. Like, that kind of guy, I am I don't love just making him a platoon player this early, so I actually understand it with Riley. If you don't think that Riley yeah. should be your guy coming out of camp, this is a different, just like you said, it's a very different discussion. Like, if you don't believe that he is the starting third baseman in April, him going to the minors makes a lot of sense to me. But if, if he earns the job and it's the starting third baseman, having Camargo in AAA does not make sense to me. That's kind of where I would be on that, because uh, Camargo is not a prospect at this point in time. He's he's just not. I, no. know he's, I know he's relatively young, but he's not a prospect. That that's a guy who is a veteran player. That I'm, I guess you could have him in AAA as insurance, but you know that's a guy who is probably too good to be there. Even if I don't like absolutely love him in some ways that everybody else does, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that you would just f- easily flip Camargo to AAA because Riley earned the job. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me intuitively. No, I mean, you're 100% correct. I, I could not agree more. And again, the thing that we really like about Camargo is that we might not always love the bat and we might not always love him playing shortstop every day, but he can play all over the field. And in today's game where you need to give guys breaks and you have guys like Dansby and Ozzy and Freddie and, you know, you know, guys in the outfield that you'd like to give random days off to, you know, those kind of those getaway games where you just need to give guys days off. Having a guy like Johan Camargo be in that role would be really good, which makes me wonder if there's something else about how he feels about that role or how the Braves feel about him in that role that we're not necessarily – I mean, we're, we're, we're hearing some of it, right? But maybe we're not hearing it like in crystal clear terms or at least have all the information. Yeah, and we, we both said it, but just as a final thought on this before we move on, I think the, the real what, – what really bumps for me about hearing these quotes – is that there's no reason to close the door on this stuff right now. There's just no reason for nope. it. Like, and it, it's the it's really the approach, not necessarily just this situation, but to g- basically say flat out that you don't have room for both of these guys because they're. It's just kind of weird to me in a, in every possible way. And you said it earlier. You allu- you alluded to the uh, that's not how we're built quote from last year that drives everyone insane. And I totally agree with it because that was a that was an insane comment to say out loud. But th- this refers to that again. I think so. It's uh, it's too early to really get upset about this. There's still four weeks to go, but um, you know, for instance, if Riley wins the job, which is a, a big question and a big if, but if he won the job and Camargo was in AAA, I would be a little bit confused. But we'll see how that goes. And by the way, more more on that and everything else on the starting uh, lineup slash position player podcast, which is coming in the future. But today's podcast is going to be mostly rotation stuff. Um, quickly, Eric, before we get to the rotation. We could dive into results this week. Did anything pop to you that actually happened on the baseball field this week that's worth talking about? I know, like for instance, like Grant Dayton, who we refer, who, who we talked about last week on the bullpen podcast, was not very good. That's one that sort of popped to me. And looking around, I didn't see a ton of baseball, so I'm kind of going off of you know stats and what everybody else saw because these games happening during the day is tough for me to watch. Um, but anything that jumped off the screen to you is something we need to talk about right this second. I mean, I think Ozuna is still getting acclimated to kind of being in a new organization. He signed like three weeks ago, and now he's having to kind of get back into the swing of things and get ramped back up. So his numbers haven't been good, but not ones that concern me at all. Uh, I think that Kyle Wright both has had the numbers that looked good and has also looked really good. Um, just striking guys out left and right and had a, like a nice long outing today, uh, especially for early in spring training. I think he has the inside track to that 
uh, that kind of that long-term starter job right now. Just because I just think he's looked really good. He seems like he's really confident in attacking the zone. Uh, I think Grant Dayton has looked legitimately terrible, and I don't know if you know he has much of a chance at all of breaking team with the camp or breaking camp with the t- breaking team with the camp breaking camp with the team uh, in the bullpen, especially with a little bullpen that is pretty loaded. Um, Ozzy's looked really good to start. Uh, I don't really take much from early spring training stuff, especially when it's like, you know, the first few weeks of games, but Ozzy's looked good and that's always like a positive thing. Um, and Kyle Muller looked like wild thing from major league. So, um, you know, I wouldn't take, that's not usually the guy that he is. So don't take too much from that, but his outing, uh, the spring, he looked a little pretty rough. <laughs> wild thing from major league is a heck of a reference. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a rough one. I believe you. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, We'll spend some time on these guys individually as as we get going here. Um, I, I don't think there's anything that is, you know, incredibly component to discuss. And a couple of the guys that I wanted to, that I actually would discuss from this week's performance, we're going to get into with the rotation. So we'll save those guys for uh, a few minutes from now, for the most part. Um, all right, Eric. After a short break, we will come back and break down the starting rotation. So hold on tight. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. All right, Eric, we're back. And interesting rotation, I would say, right now on the surface. Uh, not going to be elite, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Not going to be terrible, I don't think. Um, kind of like last year in a lot of ways. And to set the stage a little bit here, last season in 2019, for the full season, the Braves finished 12th in Major League Baseball and ERA for starters only. And they were also 12th in Fangraph's War. They were also 12th in innings pitched. So that basically... We can say with some confidence they were like the number 12 rotation in, in the majors last year, which is above average, yeah. but not incredible by any means. This year, this is just one metric, but one that I think you know is informed. Fangraphs projects the Braves at number 13 in starting pitcher war this year. And that seems about right. When, when you look at the list, I'm not gonna, we're not going to go all, all the way into that, but you can kind of see why the Braves slot in there. They, they like Max Fried. They like Mike Soroka. The other guys are a little bit more questionable, and that's kind of how everybody feels for the most part in these projection systems. So, all that just, all that said, broadly before we dive into some certain guys here, how are you feeling about the rotation? Because um, I think we know a couple guys that we pretty much trust, but there's also some depth issues, particularly now with Cole Hamels getting the late start, et cetera, et cetera. Are you are you feeling okay here? Because I know Scott and I on last week's podcast both kind of said flatly, and I'll speak for myself anyway, that the bullpen for me is the is the unit that I think is the best of the three when compared to the rest of the of, of Major League Baseball. Um, so do you agree with that? And also, do you feel like the starters are a group that you trust, or are you a little bit worried? So uh, I do think that 
between the lineup, the rotation, and the bullpen. I think the bullpen is like the best assembled unit. Now that doesn't mean the like the most value or anything. Like you're not certainly they're, yes. they're not getting thirty war from their bullpen or anything like that. It's <laughs> not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. But you know, like it's kind of like one of those units where I just don't, I don't really think about like holes and things like that. I think that. You know, maybe those last couple of slots are just going to be guys that I'm not going to be like crazy thrilled with. But for the most part, they're going to have lefties, righties, guys for all position, you know, all situations. I'm I'm fine with however what the order is towards the end of the games. You know, if they need, they have three guys that can legitimately close games that I wouldn't like be upset about happening. So I'm not, you know, again, it's perfectly fine. Um, and then as for the rotation, I agree with the assessment that they are like projected as an above average group. I do think that there is a lot of variance in the potential outcomes with this group more so than last year. Uh, and that includes, I mean, th- there's, cause there's real upside, but there's also a chance that like things can go really sideways. Um, you know, cause outside of Soroka, I mean, truly, who do you have a ton of confidence in? I, I do think that I trust Max Fried. Um, but you know, it's not a lock that Max Fried is, is awesome this year. I mean, we've, we've seen Max Fried be very good. We've seen Max Fried be closer to average in his career. And, you know, broadly speaking, you know, last year he was a three-win pitcher, according to Fangraphs. But before that, he was good, but it was a very limited sample size. And the guy's thrown 225 innings in the major leagues. So it's kind of a weird thing to say out loud. Like, the top two pitchers in all the projections are basically guys who have had one major league season in in terms of actual workload in Soroka and Freed. So... Do I think that Soroka is going to be good? Yes, I do. Do I think Freed is going to be good? I'm a little bit less confident than Soroka, but I actually would project Freed to be pretty good. And by the way, his fan grasp projection is 3.3 war. That's a good pitcher. Um, but in, in terms of trust, yeah, I mean, that is that is a problem because I think if you just like, you know, put the proverbial gun, proverbial gun to my head and said, who do you actually trust? Soroka is the first name and then, you know, Freed's the second name, but it's definitely a little bit less than Soroka. And I guess that's my point because, look, Freed, and this goes for Fulte and Newcomb and Wright, for a lot of guys on this list, I don't question the stuff. I mean, no. you could even put Tukey on that list. It's just, is that stuff going to play, and are they going to walk a lot of guys? And it's command. And it's that's kind of a a theme that's going to be throughout this. You know, these pitchers is that, you know, with Freed, with Fulte, with Newcomb, with Kyle Wright, with Tuki Tatan, Bryce Wilson, it all comes down to command. And you just don't know what you're going to get. I mean, you had in, in Fulte's first spring training outing, he looked like lights out. He was commanding everything. He looked like he was ready to go. And then in the one today, he looked significantly less good. Uh, so, you know, and that obviously this is spring training, so it shouldn't matter, but it also kind of mirrors what you expect from Fulte during the season. There's going to be those games where he goes eight innings and is like lights out, you know, looks like a Cy Young contender. And then the next game, he doesn't get out of the third inning because he can't, you know, keep his, he can't keep his pitch count low. He's walking too many guys. And sometimes he'll have those, you know, complete implosion games, you know, and you go down the rotation, you know, with Cole Hamels, do I think he's going to be as good or better than Tehran that was last year? Probably. I think it's pretty close. I think it's there's a chance for upside there because he has certainly had had stretches even late in his career where he's looked really good. Do I like the fact that he already had a like kind of a shoulder issue? No, uh, and you know, but at the same time, I do think that he's going to end up being about about the same value that Julio Tehran is. But when you take into account that three of the top five guys in Fangraphs war that for the Braves rotation are not on this team anymore, which it's kind of hysterical that Kevin Galston was number four on that list because. I, I do think that the uh, 
while the how do I put this? The peripherals were more friendly to him than what his outcomes were. I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, that that seems like one of those cases where maybe the peripherals weren't quite right because he just looked really bad to me. Yeah, uh, I agree with all that. Yeah. Uh, so, but you know, when you have three of your top five guys not on the roster anymore, th- that's a decent amount of turnover, and you really kind of need some guys to step up. And I can I could see Fulty, Newcomb, and Wright, like all those guys in some f- permutation. All those guys have such upside that I could see them being this rotation being a top ten unit in baseball. I could just see that happening because those are all guys that when they're right, they strike out a lot of guys and they have dominant stuff. But yeah, I could also I mean, see all three of those guys completely imploding, and that would not be good. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, there is to your point earlier. I think it was you said the word variance or something like that. I I, I totally agree with the variance here because if you look at the way the rotation breaks down, there is there is not as much safety as you would like, but there are a lot of talented arms here, and if you get what you think you're going to get from Soroka and Freed, that's a good start. And then if you could just get one or two of these guys to pop, you'll be in better shape. Fulty is like kind of the X factor. We'll talk about him individually a little bit more in a second. But given where he has been at times, both high and low, it's hard to project Fulty. I will be the first to say that out loud. And then you get into the Hamels thing. And the reason they brought Hamels in was to kind of be that stabilizing factor because he his upside is not, I don't think, insanely high at this point, but they need they do need him, like pretty clearly. That yeah. was that was a spot that they that, that they were trying to find someone to plug that hole. It made a lot of sense at the time, but if he does if he's not at least, you know, pretty good, that's that's gonna be a big hole. Because even even with the depth that they have in theory, it's a lot of guys who are unproven and you would like to see Cole Hamels in there every fifth day once he's back, and that would be a, a big help. So yeah, there's a lot of variance here. I think it would be it'd be a surprise to me if they were just terrible as a unit, and it would be a surprise to me if they were top five as a unit. But anything between like six or seven down to like twentieth, I would be not surprised by on all counts. I think yeah, it could happen. I mean, and that could very easily happen. Yeah. Now, it, like to because I mean to be a top five unit, I mean you're that'd be like four three win pitchers on that roster. You would need Soroka to be you know as good as he was or better last year over more innings. You would need Freed to be the good version of Freed basically all season long, which is possible. Those two things yeah. are pretty possible. But then you need probably two more guys to be very good to reach a top five level. And very good is a pretty high bar to clear for two more guys, whether it be Fulty and Hamels or, you know, if Newcomb suddenly finds it or if Kyle Wright, you know, fulfills his destiny as, as a you know former top pick, all that stuff. You, you need four guys, really to be really good to be in that level just because I know we love I know we love Soroka. We're going to start with him in a second. I don't think that Soroka has the like Garrett Cole ceiling. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I, Eric. I, I, I won't I won't take the slander. I'm, sir. I'm sorry Eric, but I, I don't think that I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that Mike's going to have like a seven and a half uh, seven and a half war season this year. That does not seem likely to me. Everyone, please bookmark this podcast. I, I, I hope to case. be wrong. Listen, just, I, it'd be great. Just in case. Wrong. It'd be great if I was wrong. Um I think he's really good, and I think it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if he had if he had a five win season. But if he like if he goes like full Max Scherzer and has like a nine win season, I, that would that would surprise me a little bit. Um, the, the Max Scherzer seasons are so bizarre. Well, I mean, Garrett Cole last year was like Max Scherzer normally. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> he struck out like two seventy or so, some outrageous number. Anyway, um, with all that said, we'll, we'll sort of go one by one here on the guys who we know will be factors, and we'll start with Mike because we're talking about him now, and because by the way, he's the number one starter pre convincingly at the moment and I think they're lining him up for opening day and all that stuff now 
I could start, Eric, but why? You are the world's leading enthusiast on Mike Soroka that's not a member of his family. So uh, the floor is yours, my friend. I think I might be eclipsing some members of his family. I Maybe. Won't, I, won't, I won't make too many assumptions there. Uh, I'm not sure how many like avid baseball fans are in his family outside the immediate family. But, you know, for, I, I feel pretty strongly about Mr. Soroka for a lot of reasons, being that I've been covering him for a long time. Um, I think that the version that we got of him last year was a pretty good version. I do not think it's the best version that we could. Uh, I do think that the one thing that he had going for him is that he can make adjustments in game that will allow him to at very least get ground balls when he really needs them. Uh, but I do think he was sinker heavy last year. And one thing that he's already talked about in interviews is that he's going to try to make sure he's getting his four seam and his change up and his breaking balls more involved and kind of, you know, kind of getting his sequencing more advanced. And I think that if, a guy coming off a top three finish in the rookie of the year voting and, you know, like top 10 in Cy Young voting, things like that is already like is eyeing improvements in ways that strategically and kind of getting his other pitches up to par. That's a really good sign. Um, I, I think that he's going to be the best pitcher on the Braves roster by a significant margin. And I would not be shocked if he ends up with a top five Cy Young uh, finish this year. Yeah. I think I agree with, with all of that. I mean, Let's try to figure out what we project him to do. And, you know, obviously everyone knows that you love Mike Soroka. Um, so it yeah, goes, sure. goes, goes without saying. Um, last year, Fangraphs War, he was he was a 4-1 player. Uh, and that's incredible in his essentially his debut season. He was really, really good. 29 stars, 174 innings. Now, first question I have for you is, can he throw 190? Can he throw 200 innings? Like, is he going to be able to go a little bit more workload-wise? Because ideally, as a number one starter, you would want him to be throwing more innings than he threw last year. Well, I mean, yeah, I just I mean, barring an injury, that was the thing that got him last year. I yep. mean, he if he had made the four more starts that like Julio did, for example, and did the same amount of innings, like he would have gotten one ninety-five ish, yeah, probably yeah, two hundred yeah, something like that. Yeah, depending on you know how long he went in those starts, et cetera, right. et cetera. So, I mean, I mean, barring injuries and. Look, he had like a like a little bit of like groin tightness or abductor tightness, I think, like early in spring. But like he basically missed like his first spring training start, and he you know his after his last start, everything was fine. You know, just kind of you know just a little tightness. They were just like kind of delayed him just a little bit. So if assuming no injuries, right? I think he, yes, I could think he could throw close to two hundred innings. Um, if for no other reason, he's so efficient. He's just not a guy that walks anybody. I mean, he walked two point one one batters per nine last year. That's not something we see in Major League Baseball a whole lot anymore. Especially, yeah, I mean, especially as a starter that is as good as he was, and you know, other than like specialists like Josh Tomlin, guys don't really right. do that much. And and by the way, I, I did the math real quickly just now. He basically threw six innings per start exactly last season. If you if you average it all out. Um, you want that to be closer to like six and two thirds, seven, if you are ideally in this perfect world, but you know, guys just don't throw as many innings as he used to. So it's not a huge problem for me. Uh, you mentioned the walks. That's a huge thing. If, if he keeps that, that's a great baseline. I am, I'm all, I'm all about guys who don't walk guys. I'm, I'm, I'm always a fan of that profile. The, the big question that I've even heard people talk about nationally though, with Soroka is the strikeouts and you, you referred yeah. to it a little bit earlier, but you know, it's not impossible to be an ace with a strikeout rate of 7.3 per nine innings, but it's pretty difficult. You've got to be really good at everything else to do that. And obviously last year it worked to the to the tune of a 2.68 ERA. But if you look at the peripherals from last year, they tell a little bit different story, uh, just a little bit. And I think most of that is because the strikeout rate is not what you normally would associate with a top-tier guy. So A, is he going to strike out more guys? And B, does it matter if he doesn't? It's kind of like it's, That's kind of my question is, like, can he still be this guy – for real, can he be a sub three ERA guy for real without striking out a ton of guys? 
so there's the things that, ha- that are going in his, fact, in his favor, right? One is just the ability to get ground balls when he really needs them. He doesn't give up the long ball either. I mean, like, again, his, his home run numbers were, like, kind of silly low, too. I think that if he can get his sequencing down and have a little bit more confidence than his other pitchers, because, again, like, when, when like, your breaking ball isn't quite right or his, you know, his changeup wasn't feeling quite right, he would retreat to his, his – that that two seamer, they just he would throw a ton, and that, the numbers would be pretty good with them. You know, he, at the very at the very least, when he wasn't at his best, he could throw he could throw that pitch a whole bunch, and you know, it'd be it'd be five or six innings, and it wouldn't be like one of those really good starts that we'd see from him. But at the very least, it'd be reasonable. I think that he's going to be trying to sequence his pitches better to kind of gear towards more some some more swing and miss rather than kind of retreating to kind of that ground ball sinker guy. I think that the K rate's going to be around eight point five per nine. I think. And if he does that, and I don't think anything else about his profile changes because this is kind of, you know, in terms of a lot of that others, all those other peripherals, that's just kind of the guy he is. I mean, I think that that makes him like a five win pitcher this year, roughly. Um, and that seems pretty good. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, all he did was, was, to just, your, was to your point to just like stay healthy and throw 200 innings, he'd already be more like a five win ish pitcher. If he was just the same guy he was last year. And if you throw in a little bit more strikeouts, yeah, like eight point yeah. five per nine, as opposed to seven point three. I'm not. I'm not saying he's not going to be like a ten k per nine. No, he's guy. never going to be Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander on that front. It's just not going to happen, um, in terms of that particular stat. But you know, he also the ground ball rate is really high. The control is really good. He doesn't have to strike out a guy. I mean, his whole profile. We've known this forever. He was not going to ever be Max Scherzer in terms of strikeouts. It's just that he doesn't need to be when he's as good as everything else is. So. Yeah, I mean, he's really good. We can talk, we can talk about Sor- Soroka all day long, but yes, we if could. he just yeah. did exactly what he did last year, the Braves would be thrilled. I think that's pretty clear. Um, and I think there's obviously room to improve for a guy who, by the way, um, if, in case you didn't remember this, Mike Soroka, 22 years old. Yep, he's going to be very good for a very long time, and it pleases me. Uh, I, I know I know it does. Um, trust me, yeah. I, I know it does. There's nothing you are that you get more excited about in the world, actually. I think, other than, other than uh, your family, than Mike Soroka. It's, it's your family it, it, and then it, Mike Soroka. It's closer than it should be, though. It really is. <laughs> uh, I get it. All right, let's move off Mike for now. He's he's good. Um, Max Free is the logical place to go next. And you know, if you look at all the projection systems, he is widely projected as an, as the number two, like second best guy. And honestly, if you look at the projections, it's actually closer than you might think. With him and Soroka, part of that, I think, is the strikeout rate where Freed is projected to strike out more than a batter per inning by most of these systems because he's done that in the past. And um, if he walks as few guys as he did last year, that is a really good thing because last year it was 9.4 strikeouts per nine and 2.5 walks per nine. And that, and that 2.5 number was a new and hopefully real baseline on the walk stuff because if, if he does that with his stuff... Uh, there's no reason to think that he won't be a very good pitcher as well because he was worth three wins last season in less innings than Soroka and also still threw out of the bullpen three times. He wasn't even like always in the rotation, like permanently coming into last year. He was kind of a question mark in some respects. And now, you know, based on what we saw and his stuff, which has never been in question, he looks to be a pretty darn good option. Yeah. Um, so I have weird feelings on Freed because I do think that the like the nine plus Ks per nine that's a real number for him just because of the kinds of pitches and the stuff he throws right like I don't think that that's an anomaly uh, I do worry a little bit that the walks are though because he is a guy that's had issues with walks in the past um, and I don't I don't think he's going to be like walking like you know like like Newcomb level numbers or anything like that you know but he's going to be a guy that I think is going to be steadily above three 
per nine, which makes puts a little bit of pressure on some of the other peripherals. Um, but he had a little bit of bad luck. I mean, a bad bit against the like 342 is pretty it's pretty rough uh, for a pitcher. And I think that you know he had some things that not really go his way. Uh, the, the trick for me is both the walks, kind of making sure that even if there is some regression to the mean there, it's not a crazy amount. Um, the home run, the home run numbers kind of combined with some bad luck. I mean, when, when your home run to fly ball ratio is 22, 20.2%, that's pretty rough. And I don't think that's necessarily representative of kind of the guy that he is and which is why some of the peripherals really like him. Um, I do think that the walk numbers are going to be a little bit higher this year, but I also think some of that other stuff might come back and he might end up, you know, he could give Soroka a run for his money as the best, the best pitcher on the team. He could. Yeah. It's kind of funny. If you just looked at the peripherals and not ERA, for last year, Freed is actually just was was as good as in terms of that stuff as Soroka, but Soroka's ERA was almost a was almost a run and a half better. So yeah. it kind of comes down to how you view this stuff. And obviously, we watch these guys you know all season long, so we are going to be more informed on them than a you know a non Braves observer. But it's kind of a good case study in some ways between between these two guys who do it very differently, one right handed, one left handed. They're both young. Freed is the strikeout, you know, big, big, big curveball guy that just like kind of makes people look silly sometimes when, when he's got it going. Sorok is more understated, control guy, et cetera. It's kinda of, it's pretty interesting. And I think, you know, Soroka, I would bet on, like we've just said multiple times, to be better this season. But Freed, Freed's upside is high, man. Like if you put it all together for a full season, I wouldn't be stunned. And if he does it, like I think he has like five win upside. If he just slides out for a full season, yeah. that's in there. That's a very that, that's a very realistic possibility, you know. Especially pitching with his left hand, like it kind of gives him some edges that you know Soroka's just not going to have. Just the fact. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, we, we can leave it there for now. Those two guys are the uh, penciled in top two. Now, from there, Eric, it gets more difficult. Uh, we'll go to my Fultonavich now because Mike Fultonavich, especially with Cole Hamels being out of service at the moment. Uh, Fulte is now the clear number three heading into the season. Um, you know, on, on the bright side with Fulte, we've seen Fulte be a top of the rotation starter. It has happened in the past. Um, he's still only 28, although that that seems like it's older than people realize that he is always. I think Fulte's a guy who's always been older than people remember that he is. But he threw a full season two years ago in which he had a sub-3 ERA in 183 innings and was, was nearly a 4-1 pitcher. That guy exists we, we've already seen it but last year he was bad for a long time now he found it later and and was definitely flashing his signs of his old self but splitting the difference a little bit in the projection systems you know for instance fan graphs i think zips has him like as like a low fours era guy maybe low to mid fours that kind of range um strikeouts are what they are like it's you know it's probably gonna be more, more than soroka but he's just someone who it's tough to trust because when he's on he's really good but we've now seen him have a couple of times in his career when he's kind of been inexplicably bad for too long to where it's kind of uncomfortable. So long preamble, uh, Fulte, any, any idea what's going to happen here? Cause I, I really don't have one, frankly. <laughs> I, I, I think he is what he is. It's going to be an ERA around four. Uh, you kind of hope that it's closer to like, you know, maybe it's sub four, uh, that could happen, but that's not a given. I, I think he ends up being like a 2.2 war guy. I mean, you no. can't you can't find a system, by the way, like just to, to back it, back you up here. All of the systems that I have seen, whether it's Steamer, Zips, or Pakoda, everybody has them in the fours in the RA. Like you have to be realistic on, on that to just say that they could all be wrong. That's definitely in play. If he's if he's as good as he can be, he's obviously better than that. But projection wise, all of the smart people than I am have him in the range that you just described. 
Yeah, I, I don't I don't think he's 2018 faulty. I just don't because there's just too much information now that says that that was the anomaly. But I don't think he was as bad as he was last year for for an extended tr- you know chunk. So I think that you know assuming he's healthy, which that this is the first it's the first time in a while he's like had like you know without an off season or coming off an injury or anything like that. It's been a while since he's been dinged up. So I could very realistically see a scenario where he may he you know he throws close to 180 innings, which he doesn't hasn't done since 2018 and didn't really do before that either. So I could see that, and he could you know have again starts where he's amazing, starts where he's like truly terrible. You know he's just kind of one of those up and down guys, and we just kind of accept that that's who he is as a person. Uh, and again, around like a, like a 2.2 WAR is kind of what I'm thinking he ends up with. Yeah, and that's like right on what the projections would tell you. I mean, like some more in the low twos, and that's if the Braves get that from him, that is perfectly fine. You yeah. know, for like, your three or four, that's totally fine. You would want more than that, ideally. You obviously the Braves would pray for him to be closer than twenty eighteen guy, uh, but I'm with you. That is probably, I won't say definitely. That is probably the outlier. It may just be that he's that guy again. I don't think that's going to happen, but he is a talented guy that you know could do more than this. But I'm with you somewhere in the two win range. Is a pretty good projection. ERA in the low fours, and uh, importantly for the Braves, they need him to throw innings because beyond those top three, there is not a lot of certainty at this moment. Um, Hamels, we'll talk about now, I guess. Um, Hamels was the guy they invested in to sort of fill that gap left by Julio. Um, I would have projected Hamels to be better than Julio coming in, um, see, just for one season. Obviously, you know, Julio is quite a bit younger, despite the fact that he feels like, he feels like he's been around forever because. Cole Hamels has, has actually been around forever. Um, he was drafted in 2002, which tells you all you need to know about Cole Hamels. Um, but, you know, if we assume health, and we can't now because he's already hurt, Hamels, you know, has never been bad, basically, in his no. entire career. Um, his worst season was 2017 in Texas, and he was still worth 1.7 fan graphs war. And that was easily his worst season of his career. Last year with the Cubs, he only threw 27 uh, starts, but even in 27 starts, which is less than full, which is less than full, not full, was it less than faulty? Definitely less, definitely less than Soroka, less than free. He was still worth two and a half war. Um, and I think, I know he's older, and that's kind of the X factor here because he's 36 and already banged up. But as a pitcher, I think I have very little reason to think that, whole, that Cole Hamels won't be good. It's just whether, you know, kind of when he debuts, how often he's healthy. And uh, the system's still pretty much like him. They have him like kind of in the same range as Fulte in terms of overall impact, even in fewer innings. But there's just more uncertainty now because he's already been dinged up. And it's not a serious injury at this moment, but anytime a 36-year-old guy is already battling a little bit of something in, in, in March and is going to be a, a sort of had to have a delayed arrival, that isn't ideal, obviously. Yeah, I think I think he ends up as like kind of like a not-quite-to-win pitcher. Uh, I mean, Father Time's undefeated, man. Like, you know, and as long as he throws like 150 innings or so, like, that's completely fine. If you get like almost two wins, around 150 million, 100, 150 innings. Oh, you, you will take that every single time. Yeah. That, that, might, that might sound low, but that's actually what he basically did last year. And for them, I know the money's going to get pointed out quite a bit and that he's making $18 million. Last season, According to Fangraph's metrics of uh, of dollar value, basically what you, what guys earned, he was worth nineteen point nine million dollars in one hundred forty one innings. So yep. that's kind of what you're paying for. Frankly, you're paying for him to be, you know, one fifty or so of pretty good pitching, and that meant, that's not sexy. But the Braves needed it badly in in somewhere along the along the way this winter, and if they can get it, they'll be perfectly fine with that. And especially if you get into the playoffs, like. 
he may not be in a rotation, but he might be your fourth starter in the playoffs. Or might be your third starter in the playoffs if he's pitching well. So, uh, and of course, you're hoping to be in the playoffs. But it's just one of those things where it may not sound like what you're getting for big money, quote-unquote. But it's a one-year deal. It's a stopgap. And he just needs to be solid. He doesn't need to be better than that. You just need him to be healthy, pitching, and solid. Yeah. I mean, like we're something like a 360 ERA seems about right. Maybe a little bit higher. but Yeah, high like, threes uh, probably. Yeah, I and I and I wouldn't be shocked if he puts up like a like a like a two point seven WAR season either, oh, just no. because because like it could that that could realistically happen. He's the kind of he has that kind of that stuff, um, especially kind of being a lefty too, where you know you could see him having like a, a really good you know a good season, and for him that'd be like two point seven WAR, and like that'd be an amazing value for the Braves for like in a one year deal, and then all then you can kind of start talking about maybe you could be like a top five rotation if everyone. That's one of the things that would have to be going right for you. Yeah, I mean, if you if you could get and you you obviously cannot do this by the way, but if you told me that Hamels follows his timeline that we know now and arrives in like late April and just pitches the rest of the season without you know a huge injury or something like that, just maybe get skipped skipped once or twice, but throws 24, 25 starts. I would tell you that I project him to be somewhere in the neighborhood of like two and a half wins, and that's a good pitcher. Yeah. It's not like it's not going to change your team in in a massive way. He's not going to be a breakout star at thirty six years old, but if you could just pencil that in, that'd be that'd be huge, man. It would be uh, not a small thing. So we'll see when he arrives. I mean, have you seen anything more different than I have? I think it's, it kind of went a little bit quiet on on the Hamels front after he got pushed back. Um, the latest uh, that I saw was uh, I think like a week ago. Basically, that he won't resume throwing for like two, it was it was two weeks at that point, so maybe another week and a half or so, and they're still projecting him hopefully to be ready to go in like late April. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think there's a chance that it happens earlier. Uh, it just kind of depends on how his throwing goes and kind of how much of the veteran treatment they give him, if that makes any sense. You know, like if he's like you know decides to ramp up quickly and they let him do so, then maybe it could be a little bit earlier than that. But I don't think that they feel a need to rush him, especially since with all the like arm options that they have at the moment. Um, just kind of playing it by ear, just kind of seeing how everything goes. It seems like he's more, I think he's closer to beating that timeline as opposed to maybe having that timeline extended, if that makes any sense. That would be nice for sure. Okay. We, we've gotten through four guys and now things get really dicey after that. Cause even if you throw Hamels in the safe category, which is probably too aggressive, but even if you do, um, we're now into the point where you have a bunch of guys for two spots at the outset. And then you're hoping one slot after that, if Hamels is right. And uh, I'm going to name all the contenders right now, and you can add someone or subtract someone if you would like, Eric, from this list. Um, this, this, this is the opening day rotation contenders that we've not discussed so far. Sean Newcomb, Felix Hernandez, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, Tuki Toussaint. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Ian Anderson. I don't think it's going to happen. Anybody else that is worth including in here or completely, or completely removing? Because I think Anderson would surprise me, to be honest with you, but... Any, any, anything that I'm uh, off base with before we start diving into guys individually here? No, there are other guys on the 40-man roster, but they're not guys that are going to be in contention for opening day slots. So starting like, starting slots, yeah, like yeah, slots, slots. Slots. yeah, it's just not going to happen. So I think you've got the the names. Okay, I think you've got the names right. So with that with that out of the way, you got to find two for April. Um, if we assume Hamels is late April, we got to find two for at least three weeks, and then beyond that, you got to have at least one. Now. I am on record as saying multiple times that I wish Sean Newcomb was in the was in the bullpen, but I think if I had to pick one of these guys to start a game today, it might be Sean Newcomb. Does that make sense on both fronts? Um, you don't you don't, don't have to agree I, with I me, but I, it might, yeah, it might yeah, sound no, great. Yeah, yeah, no, it it makes so 
here's my thought process. I think that guys who are not on the 40-man roster are at a severe disadvantage in this scenario. Yes, because Because, I mean, is is Felix Hernandez or Ian Anderson right now today appreciably better than these other options? The answer is probably no. Not because not, not that he won't not that Ian Anderson won't be or that Felix Hernandez couldn't be or hadn't been in the past. It says right now, how much better would those two guys be than the other three options that have been mentioned? Or to and to I mean folding Tukey into that as well, right? So if that's the case, I don't think that Felix or Ian Anderson get in, um, which is a shame because I really want to see Felix Hernandez pitch and pitch well. And he's been okay in spring training. I just don't. I think that a lot of that's a bit of smoke and mirrors, especially from spring training. Um, but I think that the lack of getting a, giving up a 40 man spot to have him on the roster when you have these other options never made a ton of sense to me. Um, it certainly was more likely with the Hamels injury that he was going to be able to start. Um, but I think the more likely scenario here is that given the way Kyle Wright's been pitching and kind of where they, I think that the organization views him, uh, especially given the fact that he was like given a chance at a rotation spot coming out of camp last year. Yep. Um, assuming he continues to pitch well, I think that that permanent spot in the rotation is his to lose right now. Now, in terms of a, a temporary spot where you want to see kind of, you know, you, you're going to be without Cole Hamels at least to start the season, how long that is, you know, remains to be seen. I think that it's very possible that they'll give Sean Newcomb a shot at that spot. And then from there, you can kind of make your decisions. Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about this a lot during the offseason even. It's very clear that Newcomb wants to start, and they were going to give him the opportunity to start. And that started all of this off, because we were a little bit, at least I was a little bit surprised by that kind of revelation early in the offseason. Just like, you know, some reporting, and it felt like they were just going to give Sean Newcomb a chance to start. And I can't blame him, because, you know, you want to start until you can't start anymore. And I think there is still a path for Sean Newcomb to be a pretty good starter. I won't say that I bank on that as a lock by any means, but it exists. He's a talented guy. But I think he's a good. I think he's definitely a good reliever. I think we've kind of established that at this point. So I don't know. It's interesting to me. Kyle Wright is interesting. I don't know. It's I'll always defer to to you on guys who have not who have not been like you know long-term major leaguers. You've seen these guys pitch a lot more than I have. Kyle Wright definitely applies to that. In the majors last year, he was obviously a disaster in his seven appearances. He had an ERA near eight. I don't believe that's a real thing. I mean, he was bad. I'm not going to dispute that by any means, but I don't worry too much about that. It's definitely a data point, but I don't worry too much about it. And, you know, the projection systems have him as like a low to mid fours ERA guy this year. And by the way, those systems definitely are less reliable on prospects that have less data in the major leagues. So that's always worth pointing out that I trust the systems a lot more on established major leaguers than I do on young guys, just for obvious reasons. I think pretty obvious reasons. Just there's more data. Sure. Um, but it's it's probably a good sign that the systems still think Kyle Wright in 2020 would be a pretty solid starter. Like for instance, uh, I'm looking at his zips right now. His zips projection is for 1.4 Fangraphs WAR in 130 innings. Now. That isn't spectacular. His ERA in that, in that situation is about 4.5. But if that's your fifth starter, you're you're just fine. You're feeling okay about that. Especially with a guy like Wright who has upside, who is young. And there's that other incentive with anybody that's this young, and particularly a former first-round pick, that if he if you knew he was going to be you know, pitchable, like league average-ish this year, you would love that because that gets him more reps for the future where you know he has more upside. So I, I, I'm not sure... 
how the dynamics are going to work, but if all were equal, I definitely would lean to Kyle Wright. If, if you were going into the season and you would project, and maybe not everybody would agree on this, but if, if we were to project all these guys as similar pitchers right now, you lean to Kyle Wright all day long because Kyle Wright is a guy with pedigree who you think is going to be good in the future. So if you can get that guy to be solid enough now, just go ahead and do it. Yeah, pretty much. And I think that given the, some of the things that we saw, particularly in the second half last year, where the slider was significantly better and his approach later in games, he, he had this habit later in, like the after the first time through an order where he would just like get really cute and try to like nibble on as as opposed to just trusting his stuff being good, he'd like you know try to hit corners and try to be like like kind of this command pitcher that I just honestly don't think he is really you know like just trust your stuff and pitch the guy that you the way you pitched through the first time through the order where you like were unhittable uh, as opposed to like going to the second half too because then like he'd like walk the bases loaded and like get into these big giant messes so it was kind of like there's a, there's a lot of things that just didn't sit right with me in terms of Kyle Wright but it seemed like he had kind of gotten past some of that stuff. And it seems like a lot of it's mental in the second half last year, he was significantly better down the minors. Yeah. I, and I, I trust you. Um, based on what we know right now today, I would open the season with Newcomb and Wright as the four or five. Um, I'm with you. That's just, that, that's probably the safest stockest answer that I could give you, but it's also just the way that I feel about it. I think ultimately Newcomb, you know, may not be a great starter, and I think he's also a guy that you know can move to the bullpen and be effective, so that helps too. Like, if Hamels comes back and Wright's pitching well, you can go to Sean and be like, all right, Sean, we need you to go to the bullpen and be a good seventh-inning guy. And that's uh, – he's done it before. We've, we've seen that happen. Yeah. And hopefully – I mean, if you're the Braves, you're hoping those two guys make the decision hard on you and they both pitch well. Even if it's not Newcomb and Wright, if it's Newcomb and Bryce Wilson or if it's Wright and Bryce Wilson or, you know – if Somehow Felix makes the team, and Felix. By the way, if you look at all the projection systems, Felix looks worse than all the all the young guys, even, which does not surprise me. He was bad last year, but, for, for for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, uh, I agree. Um, it's obviously a great story if he were to figure it out, and uh, you know he's a Hall of Fame level guy, like he's awesome. But I think even if I'd you, put him in. huh? I'd put him in. Yeah, I mean his workload, and he'll never get the appreciation that he probably should because Seattle was Seattle was terrible for all that time, but that was not his fault. He pitched a ton of innings, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, even the systems think he's probably the worst of these guys, and that you know, if he's if you don't think he's appreciably better than Bryce Wilson, for example, just go with Bryce Wilson. Like, why wouldn't you? I don't yeah. know. It's just one of those things. Um, so yeah, my my opinion at at this moment, and it could change in two weeks, for instance, or three weeks. Um. I would go with Newcomb and Wright out of camp, and if one of those guys falls off a cliff or gets hurt or something in the next three weeks, we'll have to amend our opinions, and we'll talk about that later. But do you agree? Is there some? Is there a different um, allocation? You, I, I, know, I know you go with Wright. Would it be Newcomb, or would you go with someone like Bryce Wilson? I'd give I'd give Wilcom a chance, Newcomb a chance, just because if that doesn't work out, you can always put him in the bullpen, and you can try um, yep. Wilson out after that. So it's just kind of like that's kind of an easy solution. Um, I don't think Tukey is getting a shot until he can no. kind of prove prove a spot there. Uh, I really want King Felix to to prove me wrong uh, and fit his way in. And I know for a fact that at some point, I'm not sure if it's going to be Snitker or someone else is going to give a quote saying along the lines of the Braves really like Felix Hernandez's veteran leadership and they're strongly considering him for the roster because that's going to drive people crazy. (laughs) Um, Considering that's the same logic that's been used to justify certain other roster decisions, which also drives us crazy. Um, (laughs) So, you know, but I, I look, I really love, I mean, I've 
long admired King Felix, and I, I want him to him playing in a Braves uniform and playing well is really high on my list of things that I want to happen. Him being in a Braves uniform and playing terribly is bad on a number of levels for me. So, you know, I just I think that his time has come and gone and it's a shame and, you know, I want him to prove me wrong more than anything, but I think that the the mix of young guys is far better for the club than it would be with him in it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um last question before we end this more than hour long podcast. Um, is there, I think Ian Anderson is the obvious name, but is there a guy that you think could be in the rotation in like July or August if things go well for them later on? Anderson's the one everybody discusses, so I want to talk about him for a second anyway, but is someone like Tukey in that mix too? Can you see one of these young guys that we've not really talked about crashing the party later on this year? I think that any of the guys on the 40-man roster, if they're pitching really well, could very real. It, it, look, in this scenario, it means that some guy in the rotation, probably like the Kyle Wright spot, um, or someone gets hurt. But either that that, that and by the way, some, someone always gets hurt. That's just kind of the yeah, reality. That's good. Um, anyone on the 40-man roster could realistically jump in. Uh, I don't think that person's Tukey. I, I know I'm, there are some folks who are still on the Tukey train and hoping that he figures it out i still i, I still believe but it's because i it's it's my heart not my head if that makes sense yeah I, i've I'm, always loved Tuki, but i don't know I'm, I'm i'm not there anymore i'm kind of holding out hope that he turns into a, a good bullpen arm and i'm not even sure that we get there anymore it seems like a guy who ends up being really long on talent and just the production wasn't there and that makes me really sad because he was one of my favorite pitchers to watch the minor leagues um but guys like just de la cruz tucker davidson you know the, the Kyle Mullers of the world, even Ian Anderson, guys who aren't on the 40 man. If you're, if they're pitching lights out and they have, the Braves have a need. I honestly think that they're going to make, they'll, they'll be quick to make a move. Um, so those are the guys in terms of rotation. That seems likely. I I think that Patrick Weigel seems like destined for a bullpen role at this yeah. point. Um, as much as I like him a lot. And I think he, I wish he would get a chance as a starter, but you know, he's still kind of coming off that injury and, you know, hasn't really pitched extended innings for, that's the amount of time yet. So if he's going to be on the club, it's probably going to be in a, in a bullpen role. But, you know, we kind of mentioned those names. I, Bryce Wilson's another name that I'm a little bit skeptical about, simply because I just don't think the secondaries are there. Um, uh, maybe he gets there to, by midseason, but I think that's still uh, some, a situation that needs a little bit more time. Yeah, I mean, and you, talk, you, you referenced injuries there. You know, as much as it's unfortunate – Teams usually need to use more than six or seven guys in a starting rotation over the full season. Even just one start or two starts, usually got to go a little bit deeper. And right now, I'm looking at the list we just talked about. You have Soroka, Fulte, Freed, Hamels. That's four. Newcomb is five. Wright is six. And then you get into guys like Wilson, and you get into the young guys that you mentioned, like Moeller and Anderson. And like, if you're not counting Felix... And remembering that Hamels is going to probably miss three, four weeks at the, at, at least, you know, the door will be open for someone else to make a start or two or more this season. Yep. Prob- probably. It's not, not always. It isn't, it's not a rule that you have to have a guy get hurt, but usually somebody will open up a spot by a, with, a, with a DL stint in May or June or July. Like it just, that's kind of what happens along the way. And um, by the way, they can still make a trade. I mean, in season, it is very possible to me that Anthopolis looks at this team and, and, and realizes, or somebody's flopped, and he looks at the team and he says, "I have to, I have to get a starter," and that might happen too in July. So, yeah, we'll see. But there's anything's got Bra- to fill. The Braves had nine different guys make multiple starts last year. Yeah, and that's not out of the ordinary by any no. means. So, and we're only naming 
in this discussion, the guys that we talked about at length were only six or seven guys. Like, you're going to have to probably get a little bit deeper. And the Braves do have all these arms um, in the minors that are young guys and they're talented that could be those guys, but it also could be a random guy that falls in their lap in, like, late March. You could get somebody that gets released on the... The Braves have done this before with guys who just kind of land in their lap that weren't on the team until March 20th that end up happening. And it may, and it could be Felix. It's not over for Felix. He might still be on the team. That's not, like, a 0% chance. So... I don't know. It's tough to project at this moment, but I think we know four guys for sure that are, that are going to make starts. I think we can assume Kyle Wright's going to make some starts this year, barring injury. Um, and I think at this point, I'm assuming Newcomb is going to make some starts. I'm not sure when they're going to be, whether it'll be in April or later, but he would be an option that they're trying to give starts to at some point in time. But beyond that, man, there is some flexibility and some uncertainty if you want to be more negative about it. So we'll see what happens. But the top guys need to be good, I think, is the, is the moral of the story. Because even if these guys are talented, and, and we, we acknowledge that, that they are, guys like Anderson and Wright and even Wilson and guys beyond that, um, there's still uncertainty. Anytime you're talking about a young guy who's never who's never done it at a high level, there's always uncertainty until they, until they actually do it. I agree. Now, before we, we let everyone go, I want to ask you, Uh-oh. last last year, there were 15 starters across baseball Uh-oh. That, that got the 200 innings. Do the Braves get one this year? Do the Braves get one? So, 200 innings is a lot of innings. So, and I feel like it does kind of come down to whether or not you think Mike Soroka is going to get 200 innings. It kind of, it kind of does. I think the only other, I mean, it is possible to me that Fulty or Free would get there. It's not impossible by any means. Um, I do think Soroka is the most likely. Here, here's a thing for you on Soroka. For him to get there, he probably needs the Braves to be in a pennant race all the way to the end, or close to it. Because if, like happens last year, if they win it going away, they're not going to push him in September. They're just not going to do it. They're going to they're okay. skip. They're going to skip him once or twice, okay. and, they sh- and they should. By the way, in that scenario, um, I am going to say no, but with very little confidence. Does that make sense? I think if like I the, think it could get close. The math. The math part of my head would tell me that the right side to pick here is the under on 200. But I also think that he definitely could get there, and it would not surprise me at all. I think that the league league of 223 is very safe. Uh, I think that if the Braves, if yeah. Soroka or someone on the Braves does get it, especially as good as the bullpen. It'll be like 202. There. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Especially with a bullpen that you're like very confident in going to if you need to. There's another factor, too, uh, which seems like what the Braves have right now. Um I think if they get there, it's going to be really close. I, I think he'll end up being, like, at 201. Well, also, I, I mean, look I, at this. Not, not a guess I have confidence in at all. Yeah, and if, if you look at the numbers, the top, let's see, the top 19 guys in innings last year, all through 38, sorry, 32 starts or more. So you pretty much can't get hurt for more than a week. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's that's part of it, too. I'm not projecting an injury for anybody, but there's not a lot of margin for error to have 200 starts, particularly when, you know, it's just what it is, man. Like the the league league was twenty it was two twenty three last year, like for Verlander, like you said. There were only four guys in the league that threw more than two oh nine last year. Innings are at an all time low f- across baseball, and that is not a surprise given the way the games are just managed now. And part of that is, you know, the right decision most of the time. But uh it's interesting, man. I, I do think that I'm even further looking at this list a little for a little bit longer, I think I'm you would I would even lean stronger into the under. Um even while acknowledging that he certainly could get there, there are guys who he who he is better than that will throw 200 innings. Like Marco Gonzalez threw 200 innings last year for the, for the Mariners. 
And he's like a fine pitcher, but he's not Mike Soroka. Yeah. Lance Lynn threw 200 innings last year for the Rangers. He's fine. Hell, healthily to uh, 208. Yeah, I mean, Mike Miner, too. Old friend Mike Miner through, through 208 and 32 starts, by the way. Um, I think, actually, Mike Miner was probably second in baseball of all these guys in, like, innings per start behind Verlander because all the guys ahead of him threw at least one, if not two more starts than Miner did. So he was – man, he was good. I, I knew that, but he was really good last year. Shouts to Mike Miner, who I, who I always believed in. Shouts to Mike. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah – 200 is interesting. He doesn't need to. By the way, if Soroka gets to 199, it's okay, folks. Yeah, it's totally fine. <laughs> it's really going to be fine. <laughs> but oh, here's a more I, I guarantee one. you there's going to be one angry person that says, that why are they going to let him get to 200? Oh, for sure. They're, they're, they're going to be tweeting about it if it Last, here's, a, here's my way of end, ending this podcast by asking you something instead of you asking me something. Okay. okay um, last year, Mike Soroka mm-hmm. led the rotation with 4.0 Fangraphs War. Yes. Over under 4.7. God, that's a good number. Over. I knew over. you were going to take the over regardless of what I said. No. Well, no, I had, I had to think about it for a second. I think he's Over under I, 7.2. I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, uh, no, he's under. <laughs> I feel very safe saying under on that so, one. So just to point the picture a little bit of Eric's optimism, and it's not a surprise, Eric loved Mike Soroka, and I think with good reason, the systems project him for, like, you know, high threes, low fours. Like, Zips has him at 4.0 for this coming season. Steamer is 3.1. Which is that seems like pretty low on almost everyone, so not a big surprise. But just to say, like four point seven would be a lot better than the systems are projecting, and I agree it'll be closer to that. I would probably take the under on that. Again, probably just because of my brain and the probabilities. But it would not surprise me if he went over by any means. If he if he keeps his same profile from last year and throws three more starts, he probably gets to about four point seven. That's just what it is. Do the math. Yeah, and my thinking is that I do think some of his peripherals are going to, like, there's going to be a little bit evening out, but I think that the K-rate does, if I think that he's going to strike out 8.5 guys this coming year, then I if think he that does he that, there. If he does that and keeps his walk rate, you're going to be right, I think. Yeah, that's that's kind of where my thinking is on it, is that I think it's over, but not, like, in some crazy, like, you know, like he's not, I don't I don't foresee, like, a six and a half win season. Um, you yelled at me when I said that about an hour ago on this podcast. You yelled at uh, me right here. I mean, it happened. Yeah, I know. That's because I like yelling at you. Perform, you performance know. art from Eric Cole, everybody. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, all right. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job of breaking down the rotation. This is going to be a on, – on paper, it's a pretty good group. It's not an elite group. It is a it is a rotation that I do have some worries about, and that's not a surprise to anyone, I don't think. I mean, even last year, to, to bring things full circle, this, is a, this was a rotation that was number 12 in baseball. And that is, you could still be, you could still win a lot of games. We saw that last year. They won 97 games with a rotation that was not a top 10 rotation in baseball. And I think on paper, again, it's not, it's not a top 10 rotation in baseball. It has the upside to do that, for sure. But uh, we'll see. Pitching is kind of volatile. It's less volatile than the, than the bullpen, which is a good thing, because the bullpen, uh, very volatile. But I, I feel cautiously optimistic, but also not to the point where I'm going to tell you that the Braves have this awesome pitching staff, because they probably don't. <laughs> we'll yeah, I mean, like, it is a good group. The, the the variance is a little bit unsettling, but you know at the same time it makes you wonder you know how good this team could be if everything goes right too. Like you you could actually like envision that realistically. Like they actually things could go right and they could be really really good. Yeah, I agree. And just to illustrate the gap between the Braves and the top of the league, um, Fangraphs projects the Braves for thirteen point seven Fangraphs WAR from the starting pitchers in about nine hundred forty innings or so. 
Um, number one is the Nats at 19.4. So about six more wins. That's a lot of wins from starting pitchers only. And granted, the Nats have Strasburg, Scherzer, Corbin, and you can't really fool around with that. Those guys are really good. Um, second, by the way, is the Mets. So the two teams that the Braves are probably going to be battling with at the top of the National League East are the two teams projected to have the best rotations in baseball by Fangraphs. So, uh, color, color me skeptical about the Mets. They have. I agree with the, you the, on the, that. They, the they've way. been they've been the paper best rotations for the last decade. Yeah, they haven't done anything. I, I agree with you. Um, I would take the under on their projections for Fangraphs here, but I also understand why. I mean, Degrom is really good. Noah Syndergaard is very good. Marcus Stroman, I've always liked. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right, Eric, anything you have to plug? We've gone long here, as we always do. You can plug the other podcast on this feed, for sure. And also, we've been busy We've been busy talking chop. Well, I haven't been busy, but you guys have been. So uh, tell people where they can find everything that you got going on. Yeah, so uh, make sure you, on this on this very podcast feed, there's also the minor league podcast, which will be starting to ramp up here relatively shortly once we have some more information, uh, kind of uh, league assignments for the minor leagues. That's the road to Atlanta. Uh, if you're subscribed to this podcast feed, you'll be able to get that. It'll usually post on Thursdays once we get that ramped back up again. Um, again, once we kind of get a better sense of the guys being reassigned to minor league camp and what where guys are going to be going, we're going to start doing you know roster previews and things like that. Um, same thing goes for the site. We're going to be doing uh, roster previews for each league, um, starting with Rome and going all the way up. And then we're going to be also all, we're already slowly ramping up our draft coverage. Uh, I know that Aaron is planning on oh, doing. Man. It is March, Eric. You're killing me with draft coverage already on March first. But I'm hey, with you. It's great. It's great stuff. Uh, well, look, we're not we're not we're not going after targets for the Braves. We're just kind of like these are the guys that are playing well and are interesting. Uh, Aaron's doing a lot. Of, he does a lot of the the JUCO and college stuff. Uh, Matt, I'm sure is going to be doing a lot of stuff on the high school side. And then as we get closer to the draft, we'll kind of like talk more realistically about who we think is going to be there. But for right now, it's just going to be like guys we like and guys we're keeping an eye on. So that's kind of where we are with it. Uh, so we're starting off with that sort of stuff. And then obviously the minor league season is going to be starting up here pretty soon, which means that minor league daily recaps are coming back. Uh, as always, they're going to be going up every day. Uh, and, you know, one way or the other, they will go up at noon. <laughs> if, that, if that means I have to write all of them, so be it. But these guys do a really great job uh, each and every day, making sure that we recap every minor league game that gets played in the minor league system. Uh, and pretty excited to get back into that routine and kind of getting going again. Yeah, it's incredibly valuable for me, candidly, because I obviously cannot watch minor league baseball on a huge regular basis, so I rely heavily on the work of Eric and the crew, and uh, the best stuff in the business, if you like Braves prospects, um, is at TalkChop.com, so there you go. Uh, Eric, thanks for, for joining me as always, my friend. We will do this again. We will get our, we will get our uh, projections and our predictions on the record. I promise between now and opening day, we will have we, I will pin Eric down on this podcast to get between 107 and 108 wins for his projection this season. <laughs> uh, is that, is, man, I'm, I'm usually the optimist, but man, you're really trying to get me get me up on the... Okay, 105. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I'm kidding, fair. but uh, it's going to happen in the future, so please subscribe to this podcast. Please leave five-star feedback. You get Road to Atlanta and Talking Chop for the price of $0 on the same feed. Pretty good deal, if you ask me. Uh, and thank you as always, Eric. I appreciate it, man. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. Again, we'll be, we'll be back next week. And stay tuned for all of that. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. 
Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org slash future to learn more and support their cause.